Heavenly Father, we lift our voices to you this morning. God, only you are worthy of worship and praise. Lord, may we may we etch our words into your into our hearts so that we can bring others into redeeming community with you. God, let us be reminded daily of your goodness and how you provide for your creation. God, as we as we hear your word this morning, I pray that that you prepare our hearts to receive it, to repent of our shortcomings, our sin, and to accomplish the mission you have sent before us. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew 6, 25 to 34, the end of the chapter. You can find it on page 811 in your Bible. Under the seat, there's a Bible. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither They neither toil nor spin. Yet I'll tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. I'm Dan. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. All of us here this morning have an intolerance for uncertainty. And whatever the level is, higher for some, lower for others, when the threshold is reached, we become anxious, we worry, we stress. Now, it comes at us in different ways. We have different trigger points. It, it manifests itself differently in each one of us. Certainly, our life experiences play a role in the kinds of things we worry about and even the way we worry or the way we respond to anxiety. For some people, it, it's paralyzing. They're paralyzed by anxiety. For others, it feels like an attack that's coming from within, and it it. it It creates this fear inside of them. 
For others, they respond more like Eeyore, just this kind of constant threat of impending doom, you know? For other people, it seems that what's all up inside of their head starts to go down into their stomach and their heart and produces sleepless nights. For many, many people, anxiety is a major problem. W.H. Auden won a Pulitzer Prize in 1947 for his poem, The Age of Anxiety, where he explored the search for meaning and identity in the shifting culture of what was then the growing industrialized world of the mid-20th century. Well, I don't have to tell you this. As a culture, we're still looking for that meaning and identity, and whatever the shift felt like in 1947, most would agree that our current setting, which is a technological age that, well, is beginning to mirror even surpass the science fiction of Auden's day 70 years ago, right? This time, 2018, this place, America, most would agree that we have more reasons than there has ever been for people to be anxious. Without question, there is a greater level of anxiety-producing information hitting us from all sides. Now, I know millennials get picked on a lot. I think they may uh, deserve it, maybe not. Um, And I suppose to some degree they actually like it. They like being the center of attention, like being analyzed. That's the fascination that goes with that. But they may not like the data that suggests that they are the anxious generation. And I got to thinking about it. There's no wonder they are anxious. They have social media anxiety, which I don't have. I'm on Facebook once a month, so I'm clear of that. But there's political anxiety, and we're all feeling that. But they have racial anxiety, social justice anxiety, economic anxiety, demographic anxiety. Apparently, I don't know what that actually means. They have fake news anxiety. They don't want to be taken in by fake news, and it really bothers them. But they've had some serious ones, some that we've dealt with as boomers. Nuclear anxiety is back. Thank you, North Korea. Cold War anxiety is making a comeback, too. Thank you, Vladimir Putin. There's cultural anxiety, identity anxiety, achievement anxiety, and parental anxiety, which covers both ways, right? From their parents and as parents. They're uptight about everything. You choose any word you want, and people are anxious about it. And here's the part that scares me. This makes me anxious. The generation after them has a bigger problem, Generation Z. And there are moments when I think about my kids and my grandkids growing up in this world that I actually get anxious, which highlights the fact that this is not something for millennials or Generation Zers, but it's about all of us. And anxiety is now considered to be a bigger problem than depression, if you can believe that. Affecting 40 million people, those are the ones that report, with an estimated cost, annual cost to our society of $42 billion. The Prozac nation of the 90s, if you were an adult in that decade, has given way to what is being called the United States of Xanax. We're an anxious people. 
Which brings us to the words of Jesus here at the end of Matthew 6. Do not be anxious. And for many anxious people, this sounds almost like an indictment. A command from God that's out of reach, maybe even out of touch with their reality. An unreasonable expectation for the 21st century. And those guilty of worry feel even more anxiety under the weight of condemnation. But I don't think condemnation is what Jesus had in mind. I don't think that's the intention of these words here in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think a closer look at the passage and considering the tone of the Sermon on the Mount, it makes me think this is less a command, certainly not an indictment, and more an invitation. An invitation to live in the kingdom of God. And here in this passage, I think it's an invitation to live in the peace that is synonymous with life lived under God's rule and reign. It's an invitation to trust Jesus because he has consistently proved himself to be a defender of the poor and the powerless, a defender of the anxious and the weak. And he's shown us just how far he's willing to go for us by dying on a cross in our place. But this idea of an invitation may be different than what you were thinking I was going to say, right? For instance, one commentary on this passage says that worry is incompatible with Christian faith. In other words, to say you're a Christian and to worry uh, calls something into question there, strong language. Another writes, when Jesus says to us, don't be anxious, it has the force of a moral command, or to say it more explicitly, anxiety is sin. I get that, and I'm not saying anxiety is not sin, but I think, and I put the word think in there intentionally, right? I think it points more to our human weakness and frailty than it does to our sin. So that means, and you're going to like this, I think, I'm not going to be scolding you this morning for being anxious. I told someone, it's funny, this whole week I felt anxious myself, so it kind of guaranteed that you were going to get off a little easy this week, right? I mean, um, now, I'll say this, anxiety can lead to all kinds of sinful behavior, there's no question about that. But as I just meditated on this passage, it seems to me that anxiety speaks more, or at least first, to the weakness of our human experience in a fallen world. And the need for us to understand our complete dependence on God. In fact, anxiety, I think, comes when we start to feel almost strong in ourselves, right? That we can do this without God, when we step out on our own. And I think God's response to our weakness, this inherent weakness, is not primarily to command us to somehow become strong, or even to quit worrying, but I think he gives us an encouragement to see that he cares for us and that he can be trusted. And that trust is demonstrated, our trust is demonstrated, our trust in God, 
as we seek to live as God's people under God's rule. The passage literally says that everything we need for life now and in the future will be provided for us as we pursue God's kingship over our life now. And that pursuit of God's reign over life, like our troubles themselves, must be today's concern. I can trick myself into thinking I'm not an anxious person, especially when things are going my way. I can trick myself into thinking I'm not weak. I can trick myself into thinking that I don't need God, really. I can neglect my pursuit of the kingdom of God. I can neglect my pursuit of God's kingship over my life. I can stop seeking it first, and I can start trusting in any number of things. My profession, my possessions, my perceived status in the community. And with that, I can assume that I'm strong and that I am mature. And then I get a pink slip at work. Or my doctor says she's concerned about my test results. Or my son's teacher says that he has a learning disability and he'll always struggle in school or there's a car accident. And in a moment, my peace and security and my maturity even in Christ can evaporate. And even if I had been seeking the kingdom with all my heart, any one of those things and a hundred others could suddenly enter my life and cause me to struggle or even stagger with anxiety. And those of us who are a little older know that's exactly true, right? And I guess my heart this morning is that anxious people, which could be any one of us at any point on any Sunday morning or any other morning of the week, that we would know that Jesus loves us and that we would understand our weakness, which is made crystal clear, I think, in Hebrews 4, 15, that God sees us as weak and understands that weakness. And that we would look to God for grace and mercy. Now, as we get into this this morning, I'm not going to call this passage an antidote for anxiety because it feels like it's too prescriptive. I would say that it gives us a strategy for confronting anxiety when it appears in our hearts. And I'm going to bounce around the text this morning. I'm not going to follow it straight through, so follow along with me. I'll mention where I'm at. Hopefully the logic of what I'm doing will make sense. But I think a good place to start is by acknowledging our lack of control. We confront anxiety by acknowledging our lack of control, or we might say, our need for control. Like I said, I don't want this to be too prescriptive, but I think confront's a good word. Because it it requires effort on our part, but not the kind of effort you might think. It's it's easy in a sense. You, You just face it. You acknowledge certain things to be true. Presumably, or I think most helpfully, in public. We acknowledge these things to our spouses, even our children, depending on their age, our friends, 
our community groups. We, we face it, we acknowledge it when and where it seems appropriate. And we see this lack of control that needs to be acknowledged expressed in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, the answer, of course, is nobody can do that, right? No one can add an extra hour. But I don't think that's the point of what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, look, see how useless anxiety is? Stop it. Quit it. Don't do it. It's meaningless. It's not producing anything good. Quit it. No, I think what he's saying is that worry and anxiety reveal in us the desire for power and control over our lives. Something that doesn't belong to us. It's a power grab that's not working. How many of you are trying to control the people and the circumstances in your life right now? In order to reduce your anxiety and give you a false sense of peace and security. If you have kids... At some point, you will experience that temptation right there. You will want to control, maybe even manipulate situations and outcomes that you think would be best for them. If you want to be free of anxiety, at some point you're going to have to let go of trying to control your world. You weren't made for controlling the world. Not the world and not your world, right? Even, you see, anxiety is a control issue even when it feels like you're out of control. And that's why the Bible speaks so frequently to the idea of God's sovereign rule. This is God's world. God is in control. I mean, the Lord's Prayer is essentially an expression of our commitment to see God's will take shape in our lives, in the lives of people in our church, and then beyond these walls out into the community. Whatever that looks like. And we will get to this, but the promise that God will take care of us in this passage hinges on God being our king, of us living in his kingdom. One of the things I've realized over the years is that anxiety and depression, while looking meek and mild, they have a huge pride component. Huge pride component. Often bruised pride, right? But pride nonetheless, which leads us to an interesting passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, which I, I, I think most of you are familiar with. It says, casting your cares on him because he cares for you. Or casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, what's interesting is that verse does not stand alone, but it is the conclusion of verse 6, which says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. In other words, it takes humility to acknowledge our weakness It takes humility to admit our control issues and to cast that control and our anxieties on God. We confront anxiety by acknowledging our desire to control our lives instead of trusting God's sovereignty. And we work this out practically 
by living in the present moment. We confront anxiety by living in the present moment. Verse 34. When our kids were young, we would read to them from the Book of Virtues. Some of you that are, you know, know that book, it's got some really good stories in it. And one of my favorites was called The Golden Thread. And it was about a boy who was always daydreaming about the future. And at one point in the woods, which seems to happen in a lot of these stories, he meets an old woman, right, who offers him a long gold thread that's wrapped around a silver ball. And she tells him that any time he pulls the thread, he'll basically advance the day. And however much he pulls it, he can advance his life. But his life is only the length of the thread. And so the boy, who's always been a daydreamer, wondering what he was going to be when he grows up, all of these kinds of things, begins to pull the thread just to get a peek into the future. And when he meets the girl that he wants to marry, well, he doesn't want to wait. So he pulls the thread, and they're married, and it's wonderful. And then she becomes pregnant, and they're going to have a child, and he doesn't want to wait to meet his new child. So he pulls the thread, and he's constantly wanting to move into the future. And suddenly his life was over. A lot of anxiety comes from trying to read the tea leaves, right? From pulling the thread, from trying to figure out what will happen next in the future. And Jesus warns us here, I think, of neglecting the present moment because we're worried about that future. Some of you are actually putting off things concerning God's kingdom. And justifying it in your mind by telling yourself you will get to it in the future, right? I will get there in the future, but right now I'm busy with other things. You'll join a community group in the future. You'll read your Bible in the future. You'll pray in the future, follow God better in the future. Once I get past this little hump here, things are going to be better for me spiritually in the future. Look, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but let me just say, most people who plan to be more spiritual or more godly or more in the kingdom in the future never get to the future. It just doesn't happen. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. God has not given us that. What he has given me and given you is today. And so we should confront our anxiety by resisting the temptation to speculate about our future and end up neglecting our present moment. Not enjoying our present moment. How many of you are worried about what's going to happen in retirement? So much so that you're not enjoying the years that you're experiencing now. Or you're pulling the string. We see commercials like that all the time. Can't wait till I can just be out golfing, pulling the string And then you get to be that age and you find you've got a torn rotator cuff and you can't golf. So what do you do now? Now, Of course, this doesn't mean we we neglect what is wise. You know, Jesus says the birds, they don't plant and all that. Well, we're not birds. So we should plant seed and we should harvest and we should save and do other wise things. But in doing what is prudent, we cannot neglect the moment right in front of us. In doing what is prudent, we shouldn't toil or spin. 
And whatever plans we make, and this, we saw this in, in James, the letter of James, whatever plans we make, they come with this qualification, if the Lord wills, right? If the Lord wills, we'll do this or do that. If the Lord wills, I'll play golf when I'm 75. All of our plans need to be held very loosely because we don't know the future. And God doesn't want us to focus that much on the future. God is telling us here that He loves us and He will provide for all our needs. We know from Scripture and life experience that everything doesn't work out the way we think it should, but God tells us that He will provide for us. And with this statement in verse 34, where Jesus says, well... Today's trouble is going to be about all you can handle. That's kind of how he says it. You know, today's trouble is enough for you, buddy. You don't want tomorrow's trouble too. He seems to be offering us a dose of reality. God's care and love sometimes takes us into the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee everyone here today some trouble. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, be of good cheer. So you think something great's coming, right? I mean, it's like, be happy. In the world, you will have tribulations. It's like, oh, that's great, thank you. But I have overcome the world. I'm not in control. You're not in control. And with this, we see that The call to live in the present moment requires us to confront our anxiety by seeking the right kingdom. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to go listen to Mike's message because it really kind of sets this message up well. But there is another kingdom, and one of the main reasons for our trouble is the fact that we are straddling the line. And I don't mean that like we're, you know, half in the world, half in the church, kind of, you know, two-timing or anything like that. We are literally straddling the line between God's kingdom coming in its totality and the old kingdom kind of fading away. And we're living in this kind of mixed kingdom. And it's difficult. And so we're we're constantly kind of navigating this two-kingdom world. I think we saw that in Mike's message last week. You can't serve God and money, right? There, you have to make a choice. You can't find your security in the, in the things that people of this world find their security in because it doesn't work. And until the fullness of God's kingdom arrives, we will be in this, for lack of a better word, battle, conflict. A battle with our flesh, a battle with the devil, a battle with the the ethos of this world that has set itself up against the kingdom of God. There will be a battle going on inside of us to love God rightly, a battle to seek the kingdom and place it above all things. To seek the kingdom means that we are that we want to live our lives in the present moment in such a way that we are increasingly living under the authority of Jesus, consistently and more progressively pulling that kingdom into our present experience. We're working to expand the influence 
and territory of his kingdom. But sometimes our allegiance is misplaced. It's just the way things are, right? We're in these, this two-kingdom area when our treasure is not the right treasure. It happens. We will be and should be, I think, anxious when that takes place. I see that as a gift. Oftentimes when I start to feel anxious, I'm asking myself, am I, am I fading out of the right kingdom and into the wrong kingdom? I'm, am I thinking rightly about this world? Is the emphasis for me shifted from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of men? I think our world is primarily anxious because it hasn't bowed its knee to the true king. And so when anxiety comes in, I think it's one of those things that we can use to ask ourselves, what is God saying? What is God doing? How have I turned? More than anything this morning, here's what I want you to hear. We confront anxiety best by trusting God's love. We, we confront anxiety best by trusting God's love. And I think this is just evident throughout the passage. The tender care of the Father for His creation, His feeding of the birds, His dressing the flowers with spectacular clothing. It's all meant to show us something really important. I think part of it is, it's something that we see all around us, right? I love this because a lot of the illustrations, you know, if it's like sheep herding or something in the Bible, I have to imagine that, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, I can picture that. A shepherd with a staff hooking and pulling him up. But I look out my back window and I see birds just going all over the place, making nests, eating bugs, praying for spring. And, um, oh, that was me praying for spring. And the birds saying, hey, Squirrels, too. Uh, Tina thinks I'm a little Dr. Doolittle-ish sometimes. I sit, I guess also I'm like, hey, there's a squirrel. She's like, it's a squirrel. I'm like, sorry, I didn't mean to get distracted there. So, But same thing with the flowers, right? Here's the thing. God takes such care. He puts so much into these things that, that are just not as valuable as we are. And that's not me saying it. That's Jesus saying that. Look, are the birds as valuable as you are? No. So can you expect something different from me? Well, maybe not different in kind, but different in degree, right? And with the whole flower thing, look, if God takes care of something that is blooming today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more is he going to take care of something that is eternal? That's you, eternal I'm also reminded that while our anxiety reveals our weakness, God's particular love for humanity reveals the place of honor. In all of this, I, I, I shy away sometimes of saying that we're important. But you know what? We're important. We really are to God. We matter to God. We're, we're, in a sense, a big deal. People made in His image. Jesus says, if God's eye is on the sparrow, if He feeds and cares for the birds, how much more will He care for you? Now, I think all of this, trying to engage 
with the love of God as the main way that we fight anxiety. It comes down to a trust issue. A trust issue. What, what is systematic in humanity is a lack of trust because of the fall. A deep-seated distrust of God. Think about the Garden of Eden. Think about the story of redemption. That Satan came and said, God's a liar. And mankind said, you're right. I can't trust this guy. And we see this in the Pharisees in their suspicion of God's grace and that's coming through Jesus Christ. We see it in the story of the prodigal son, not in the prodigal son, but in the elder brother. They're slaving away. They're trying to earn their dad's love. Let's just establish something right now. God loves you. God loves you. We live in anxious times. I think all of us are feeling it to some extent, right? It's hard to describe, but it's just in the air. Whole generations of people are struggling. One of the things that I've had happen to me in the last couple of years is just this anxiety about the future of the church in America. Where is it going? I've been so encouraged by different speakers that I've heard recently say that if the church in America dies, it doesn't mean the church is going to die, right? That God is still on his throne, and I need to focus in that direction. In the Lord of the Rings, and I'm going to close with this. I was trying to think of the best way, and I know that Everett loves the Lord of the Rings, and so I figured that would be the best way. And a lot of you know the story, if not from the books, at least from the movie. They make it to Mount Doom and, and Frodo's run out of gas, right? He's just kind of plopped down there right at the threshold of, of Mount Doom. And he's completely spent. And he's kind of trying to crawl on his hands and knees, but he's not getting very far. And Sam looked at him. And in the book it says that he wept in his heart, but his eyes were too dry to actually produce tears. And then he said, Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. I mean, that's the, for me, that's the most moving part of that whole series. Can I say something? Jesus carried it the weight of all our sin and shame and rebellion, and now he wants to carry you. He wants to carry you in your anxious moments. He wants to hold tightly to you and encourage you. There's a passage of Scripture that came to mind, and I won't quote it right, but it's Isaiah 42 where it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a a lowly burning wick he won't snuff out. He will bring it back to a fire. That's what's going on here. God's love will be the way that we confront our anxiety by trusting in him, not in ourselves, not in our ability to do anything. So when he says, don't be anxious, he's not saying, come on, be tough, try harder, do some more. I think he's saying, You don't have to worry. 
I know when I was a kid and my dad would say to me, hey, don't worry, I got this. He wasn't saying try anything. He was just saying, let's go, let's go. And I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says don't worry. As as people that belong to me, I'm going to get you there. Just like the church is going to arrive where God wants it, you will arrive where he wants. Trust him. Take his hand. Don't be anxious. He's got this. Will you pray with me? Lord, There are so many ways that sermons can be heard, so many ways that we can think about your word. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would move in our midst right here and that you would relieve our anxious hearts. That, Father, you would give us a greater trust, a greater hope in your love a greater understanding of your affection for us as your people. Lord, that you would would melt some of the scales off of our heart. That you would take away our fear, our frustration. That you would help us to release control of our lives to you. Spirit, be at work in our midst, I pray this morning. We love you, Father, and we're grateful that you sent your Son into the world. And Jesus, we're grateful that you came into the world to show us the Father, to show us his heart, to show us his love. And Jesus, we're thankful that you sent the Holy Spirit Spirit of God, we are grateful for you that you come and open our eyes and minister God's truth to our minds. Holy Trinity of God, we worship you this morning. Amen.